by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, all right, if you hadn't already, you know to turn to Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. And that's where we've gotten to so far. Last week we talked about the green pastures and the still waters, but tonight we got into <laughs> to the place of restoring our souls. Verse 3, he restoreth my soul. I tried to restore my soul a little bit this week. Had that guest pastor Sunday. How many like that guy? He's pretty good, huh? Uh, and since he was preaching, I didn't have to put together a message for this Sunday. And so I said, I'm going to take me a day off. That's something I hadn't had in a long time, you know, where I could just go and restore my soul because, you know, I need to clear my mind every now and then. And so I called my brother, and I said, how about we go fishing? How about we crank that boat up we hadn't got out all year, you know? And so he said, okay. Now, you remember my brother. He's had two lobes of his lung recently removed. And so he's just out of the hospital fresh. And so I knew he wouldn't have a lot of energy. But I figured he could sit in a boat, you know. So we get there and we put the boat in. And the boat runs great. And it's a beautiful day. It was like Saturday, I think. It was a beautiful day. And we went down the lake. And it's just a lot of water in the lake. I didn't know where to fish. I didn't even ask Gary where to go or anything, you know. Because if I got on the phone with Gary about fishing, I might not have a day to fish. You know, it would take up all day. <laughs> you know that story. So I was just going to try to find some fish on my own. I should have called Gary. But anyway, I pulled off at a place we caught fish last year. And it was, it's a wooded area. And, it, and if you can weave the boat between the trees, you can fish the trees, you know, a good ways back. And I remember it went a long way through. And then there was like a, a road bed you crossed. And then you got into some really good fishing. So we decided to do that. And we started fishing, and we started, and I had the trolling motor going, and, and it's kind of hairy back there, you know, the trees are close together, and sometimes you'd almost get stuck and stuff, and, and we was fishing, not catching anything, but I was just sure if we could get past that road bed and get to that better place, we was going to catch something, you know, because that was where all the big crappie were last time. Well, as we kept going, that little trolling motor was getting hung up. I don't know if the water level was different or something, but it seemed awful jungly this time, more so than last time. And pretty soon we were getting to places where I almost had to get out, <laughs> get out of the boat to get us around these trees and stuff. But I kept saying, well, I know it ain't much further. And I was really working up a sweat. You know, this wasn't like relaxation at all, you know. I was fighting that trolling motor and the thing kept, the, the catch on it was messing up. And every time I'd hit something, it'd go, Vroom, come up out of the water, you know. It was like starting to be one of them episodes about them other stories you heard about from me, right? But I was so sure if we kept going, we'd get across that roadbed and it opened up and we'd get to the crappie. My brother, he's starting to wonder about me, you know, about two hours in, we're still with the trolling motor and hitting logs and stumps and stuff. Finally, we got to a place. I'm not kidding. It wasn't there last year. You could not physically fit our boat between any of the trees. It just wasn't going to happen. We tried. Two or three. I mean, we tried to 
get it through there. It would not go. It just would not. And I'm thinking, we've got to go all the way back. We just spent two hours getting this far. I said, surely we got to get, get through here because I know that roadbed is just up there and we're going to be in the fish. Guess what happened? I'll tell you later. But it goes like that sometimes. Sometimes you plan on getting some rest and you wear yourself out doing it. Isn't that right? The things I'm going to talk about tonight, some of you already know this and could probably preach it, but some of you may have never heard this, and I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good for all of us anyway. Human beings were three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. The spirit, uh, you remember when God created us in, in Genesis out of the dust of the earth, and it says he breathed into us the spirit of life. Well, that's our, that was our spirit. God made us alive to him by his spirit. That's what made us an alive person. Our spirit is eternal, and, and our spirit now is either dark and dead, or it's uh, light and alive unto God. That's the two options right now. You have people in the world that are dark and dead spiritually, or light and alive. Would you agree? So that's our spirit. We're three-part being. We also have this body that we live in. It's called our flesh. Some people know it as the earth suit that we, we don. It's what allows us to uh, function down on here on planet earth, you know, get the oxygen and everything to keep this earth suit alive. Our current body is a mortal body. That means it's in a state of perishing, right? <laughs> the Bible says, though our outward man perisheth, our inner man was renewed day by day. But the outward man, we can all agree, is getting older and is wasting away little bit by little bit. And that's because of the ravages of sin in this world, as we'll get to. Now, Christians, the good news is Christians get a new immortal body when we shed this one. So that's good news, something to look forward to. So you got your spirit, your body, and what we're going to talk about the most tonight is he restoreth our what? Soul. So what is the soul? Webster's describes it as the immaterial essence, the animating principle, or the actuating cause of an individual life. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't get any of that. But I do know that our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. In other words, our thinker, our will is our chooser, and our emotions are our feeler. Okay? So there's three parts as a human being, body, soul, and spirit, and there's three parts of your soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's what makes you you. You know, God gave you your own fingerprints, your own DNA. He gave you uh, everything about you is unique. There's not a, God doesn't make copies and clones. He makes unique individual masterpieces that the Bible tells us. Your soul is also like your spirit it is eternal and it will be somewhere forever. Either you'll spend eternity with God or you'll spend eternity without God. Smoking or non-smoking? 
so to speak. So you got your body, soul, and your spirit. And so much changed in the garden. You know, the original garden, the Garden of Eden. You remember, it sounds like a, a fairy tale when you tell the story, but it is true there was a man created out of the dust of the earth, and there was a woman named Eve taken out of the man. And they were given this whole beautiful garden, and he gave them everything that they needed to live godly lives. He walked with them in the cool of the day, gave them every tree for fruit, and everything that they needed was taken care of. It's not like a picture of heaven will be. It's a beautiful garden to live in and enjoy the presence of God. But because God wanted us to be like him in the respect that we get to choose and no, nobody can tell us what to do, we have free will. He gave us a free will. And, and to do that, he had to give us a choice. And so he set one little puny tree in the garden. And he said, look, of all the other trees, you may freely eat. But of this one tree, don't eat it. He, made this, he says, the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. So he made it clear. He wasn't trying to trick anybody. He's basically saying what Joshua would say later. On this hand, you got life. On this hand, you got death. On this hand, you got blessing. On this hand, you got cursing. Choose life. Don't eat of that tree on the day he said, on the day that you do, you will surely what? Well, then, tell me this. Why does the Bible go on to say that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden that day, and he went on to live 930 years? Is God a liar? Did, didn't God say, on the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die? You're almost there. Adam's spirit died. Adam's spirit died, and he was removed from God's presence. You see, in God's estimation of the words death and life, a little bit different than ours. We understand it from a human perspective. We understand it when we die, we go into the grave. And we see it all in this time, space, and dimension in which we live, in this human condition that we're in. But to God, death means separation from life. And who is life? God himself. So death, in its purest form, is separation from God. So in that regard, Adam died. He was separated from God, taken out of the garden, and also the spirit within him that God had breathed into him and given him life in the first place, was now dead. And so, Adam did die on that very first day. and He was taken out of God's presence. What are, if that's the case, then what does it mean to be alive? What is life? If death is separation from God, what is life? It's with him. It's oneness with God. That's what life is truly in its purest form. Life is for us to be connected as Jesus said in John chapter 17, that they may be in me and I in you and you in them and we may all be one. That's life. To be as close, you can have much life as you want. And it's all found where? In our source of life, which is God. 
So it took 930 years for Adam's body to finally wind down. Just the infusion of life that he had and the infusion of life and the residue, I guess, from that life that was in Adam is in us and allows these clay bodies to go on for a while. His lasted 930 years before he finally wound down and went back to the dust from which he was created. And because of Adam, God cursed the earth, you know, and, and, uh, and how many can agree that you shall work by the sweat of your brow? Life is a fight ever since then. It's no more a garden out here. <laughs> you know, the, it seems like everything is against us. Weeds keep growing. You try to put, get a nice yard. If you don't put one treatment down, next thing you know, the weeds are coming up. You know, you try to do something down here, but you always have to fight and struggle. Anybody experience that? Life just doesn't happen. It's just not one blessing after another. We're not in the garden. We are living in a sin-ravaged world. And every living being that was born after Adam was born into the bloodline of that first man. And so what happens? You can look in medical science that the blood, the type blood that you have is passed down through the father. If you've ever had a paternity test or whatever, they, they check the father to see who the father is. It's, the, it's in the father. And so every person born after Adam is born into sin. It's born with the sin-filled blood of Adam in their veins. And of course, it doesn't take them long after they come out screaming and crying to go ahead and take ownership of that sin for themselves. You know, there's none of us who've lived a life perfect. You know, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And we do regularly because we are born into a sinful nature. We live in a sinful world. And uh, we just kind of spiral out of control from there. So basically you could say Adam was in the kingdom of God and then he was translated out of the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness. He had light, the light of life. And then he went dark. He had life, but then he died. So, us being in that condition, how does this affect our souls? Well, without that light, we're left in the darkness with this infection called sin. Our mind, our will, our emotions, our thinker, our chooser, and our feeler are all severely hampered by this darkness. It's trying to work in the dark. Have you ever tried to work in the dark? You ever tried to fix a computer in the dark or tried to do anything in the dark? Well, you become easy pickings for the devil because the darkness is where the devil resides. And in that darkness, uh, you make mistakes. And we become... I wrote, wrote this, we're like a computer ravaged by a terrible virus. You know, at first, we may still work pretty good. You ever had a computer with a virus on it? But it some weird things start popping up, and some, some files are deleted. And, and as it goes on, if you don't get that virus taken care of, what happens? It's going to shut down all productivity. That computer will eventually lock up. And that's basically the human condition. We're infected with the sin virus. It's like a cancer for the soul. That's what sin is. 
And we all have it. And God looked down and all of his creation was in this lost state. Our mind, our thinker, we have very little of God's wisdom to operate with. We don't think correctly when we're lost. Because why? We're in the darkness. You can't think straight in the dark. Our will, our chooser, it, it typically only chooses dark pleasures. You know, we, our will is our ability to choose what's right. And when you're, when you're in the darkness, you make bad decisions. You can't, you're feeling around it. This, I'll just choose this. You're just feeling what feels good. <laughs> and can you agree that when you were lost, you just reached for what felt good? And your emotions, your feeler, how you feel in the darkness, we just didn't care about anybody else. We ain't got time for anybody else. We're just trying to make it our, ourselves. We were lost and, and being in the dark. Paul, the Apostle Paul, said to the Christians in Ephesians 4.17, if you'll pull it up there. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. He's talking to the Ephesian church, and he's talking about Gentiles. Gentiles in that day were anything but Jews, and they still are. In fact, I would say most of us are Gentiles. But back then, there were no saved Gentiles, or very few saved Gentiles, so he was talking about heathens, basically. He was saying, don't live like the heathens do, for they are hopelessly confused. In other words, their chooser is broke. They're confused. They don't know what to choose. Their, their chooser is broke. Their minds are full of darkness. Their thinker is broke. And they wander far from the life God gives because they close their minds and they harden their hearts against him. Their feeler is broke. So he's telling you, don't be like the heathens because their, their chooser, their thinker, and their feeler are all broke. And in verse 19, he says, they have no sense of shame, they live for lustful pleasure, and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. And I know I did before I, the light came back on. Proverbs 4.19 says, but the way of the wicked is total darkness. Total darkness. They have no idea what they're stumbling over. That's just the way it is in the dark. Apostle Paul should know because his mind, his will, and his emotions had at one time been fully engaged in persecuting Christians. He thought he was doing good. His thinker thought he was doing God a favor. Wrong. His chooser thought he was choosing the right thing over Christianity. Wrong. His feeler wanted to do good, but just didn't have the power to do it. Many of us today, we want to do good. Many of us, before we were born again, we wanted to do good, but we had no power to do it. Many of us today, if we would say that God is in our heart, many of us still try to use that same excuse. I want to do good, but I just can't. But now you have an advocate. Now you have a helper. Now you have the tools to see correctly. You're not in the dark like you once were. Paul says, man, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do is the thing I do. And he goes on and on like that for like 10 minutes. He says, who shall save me from this body of death? Because we're still trapped in this old sin-filled flesh. 
with the sin nature. But he says, oh, it's Jesus Christ. And he is our Savior, right? Where else are you going to turn? He is the victory that overcomes. It's by the blood of Jesus. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 2. And we'll start in verse 9. Y'all are awful quiet tonight. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I've always seen this as something, you know, about heaven. Is that the way you've seen it? You know, never entered into the heart of man what God has prepared. And I think about the, the sweet by and by, and man, it's going to be so great that we never even in. But what about if he's talking about now? What if it hadn't entered into our hearts half of the things that he's prepared for us here? But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. See, if we're in heaven... We're not going to have to have those things revealed by His Spirit. We're going to be there. But he's we're, we're seeing through a glass darkly now, aren't we? He's revealing things to us by His Spirit. Things that's not even entered into your heart yet. And that's down here, I believe. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. You see, we, we didn't when His Spirit was dead in us, we didn't care about the things of God. We didn't even want to know. And if we wanted to know, even the Bible was foolishness to the unbeliever, it says. The things of God are foolishness to the unbeliever. It didn't make sense to us. So sometimes I wonder if it's doing any good just passing out Bibles to people. and not. <laughs> what we need to be doing is explaining the gospel. Look, you need to get saved so that Bible will, you can understand it. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. So how are we going to know the mind of Christ? How are we going to have the mind of Christ unless we have his spirit back in us that we lost in the fall of man? And when we receive God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. That sounds like here and now. God has given us wonderful things and we need to know it. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. See, the lost people can't receive these things. It just doesn't make sense to them. It all sounds foolishness to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means we are desperately in need to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And when does that happen? How does that happen? If we're all lost in our, and dead in our sins and trespasses without hope in this world, could you work it up? Could you have enough faith to spark a fire in you and get the, the light to come back on? There was nothing you could do. How did our shepherd restore our soul? You know, he paid our sin debt on the cross. 
became our Redeemer, our Savior. He came and saved us. He satisfied the wrath of God against sin once and for all. He paid the penalty for sin. He crushed sin, the power it had over our lives. He demonstrated God's love. And he gave us a reset from Adam's choice. Adam put us in this predicament. And Jesus came and said, poof, he hit the reset button. Now, you got a choice. Choose me. Choose life. Reject me. Choose darkness. He offers to be our Savior if we'll follow him and make him our Lord. I mean, this is, this is gospel 101. You know, guys know all this, but I'm just putting it in a different context, maybe to help you see a little bit. We all need to hear it again because we need to be explaining this to others. Let's turn to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, verse 12. Always thanking the Father. Always thanking the Father. That's a good place to start. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live where? In the light. See, the inheritance is for those who live in the light. You're not going to get to heaven and drag some darkness up there with you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Heaven is going to be a wonderfully light place. It says there's going to be no night there, even when he sets up his kingdom here on the earth, because God will be in the temple. It says we don't need the sun or the moon anymore, because God will be in the temple, and it will be daylight all the time. Verse 13 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Isn't that the exact opposite of what happened to Adam? Didn't we say that he was taken out of the kingdom of of God and translated into the kingdom of darkness? And here Jesus comes, translating us out of that kingdom of darkness back into the kingdom of light. He purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. You see, those sins were weighing us down and causing darkness. And once they were gone and his spirit came in our life, we became alive unto God. Remember what alive means? Life, what does it mean? Oneness with God. No longer, no death. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. Can you turn there? Oh, you beat me there. Good job. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Thank goodness for that second man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, and he will turn the kingdom over to his father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. What do you mean? I thought he already won the victory. Well, God left a little victory for us down here. He wants us to do a little winning. He didn't want to just do it, finish it up. He wanted to let his children experience some of the, the joy of winning down here and stomping on the devil. 
Because, it, look, Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies underneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So you're saying, well, once we got saved, then what's the deal? Why are we still in, why don't we just get our immortal bodies now, you know? Why don't we just go to heaven, you know? Well, good question. But the answer is clear if you just look around. I went driving around a while ago, and everywhere I look, I see lost people. And they need to hear what I've heard. If God just translated us all up to heaven right now, who would be left to tell? Who would be left to finish the work that Christ started? This church that he is building. But it says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So he gave us a new spirit. But this body that we live in is still perishing. Like I said, this outward man, though this outward man perisheth, the inner man is renewed day by day. So we can be renewed on the inside. Our spirit's growing stronger and stronger. It's not decaying. But this outward man, it's still getting older, getting a little bit slower, getting a little more wrinkly, turning a little grayer. It's perishing. And so we're in a dilemma. We have this new born-again spirit that wants to please God, but is sitting right in the middle of this old flesh, this old this sin nature haven, this suit that we live in, this, this, with, this, with this soul that hasn't been completely... It, we didn't get a new soul. If you got saved and you were jacked up... <laughs> The day you got saved, you're still jacked up, right? You got to work out this salvation. He put it on the inside of you. He gave you everything you need that pertains to life and godliness in that spirit. Your salvation, your Zoe life is on the inside of you. And now he says, work out your salvation. God does everything on the inside, and then he works it to the outside, and he left it for us and, and by, by his help, of course. He's going to help us work out this salvation until it begins to show itself on the outside. So there's this war going on between our flesh and the pool of this sin-fallen world and the Spirit of God that's alive on the inside that wants us to live holy and live in a way that pleases God and live in the light as He is in the light. Darkness is grabbing and trying to pull that old dead man up out of the casket and say, let him live. But he never lived in the first place. No, let your new man live. Live in the Spirit. And if you want to see the difference in living in the Spirit and living in the flesh, go to Galatians. But We won't go there tonight, but that's some homework. Look at Galatians 5. It'll tell you the difference. Listen, it's, it's as easy as the choice that life and death, I'm telling you. You want peace, love, and joy, don't you? You don't want murder, rape, and pillaging. I mean, it's, it's black and white choice. It's so clear. Choose life. Hebrews 9, 27 says, And as, as it is appointed to once to men to die, as it is appointed unto men once to die, we're all going to die. That's the, that's the hard thing about this. We're going to have to shed this flesh. 
It's appointed once for us to die. Unless, the, unless we go in the rapture and then it'll happen like that. But we're still going to shed this flesh one way or the other. It's going to die. This flesh is going to die. Our soul, not so much. Our spirit, never. If, we, if we're born of Christ. But this flesh must die. So it's appointed to man once to die. But after this, the judgment. What is the judgment? Well, did you receive Jesus? Did you receive your salvation? Do you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you? That's the whole question. He's not going to say, well, let's get your sin log out and see if you were good enough because we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. The sin debt was paid. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, around 17, 18, 19. It says that God's no longer counting men's trespasses against them. The sin debt has been paid. You understand? It's not about sin anymore once you receive Christ. It's about, it's about living into that spirit. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And of course, John 8, 12, Jesus, <coughs> he said, I am the light of the world. Man, our light is back on. If you have Jesus in your heart, your light is back on. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. So what's the difference in Christians that are kind of dabbling back in the darkness? They're not walking with Jesus. Who is their light? You see, the spirit that's in, inside of us is the Holy Spirit. And it is, he is also referred to as the Spirit of Christ. It is Jesus in us. Know you not that you are a temple of the living God, that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? Everything that you need is there. We need to stay connected. We're looking all on the outside for something to fulfill us when it's already on the inside. So the light is back on for the believer. Our spirits are alive again. We're united with God. The first restoration our soul must undertake is to be born again. That's the first restoration. Then we have to the task of working it out, and then we, we must choose to be led by that Spirit. There's a battle going on in our mind, in our thinker, in our chooser, in our soul, for who's going to win this war. Are we going to allow light to win out, or are we going to choose to go back into the bondage that Christ set us free from, the slavery of sin? Are we going to live until the light? Okay. So once you understand there's a battle, which will you feed, your spirit or your flesh? I'm sure, quite sure that most of you probably ate three square meals today, or you ate two and you can't wait for me to shut up so you can eat the third one. Right? Miss Joyce, you got something in your pocket over there you want to share with us? <laughs> Candy bar or something? So we feed our flesh. Because it, it's calling out. But you know what? Our spirit needs feeding too. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk. In the King James, it says the spiritual milk of God's word. This is, what, this is what feeds your spirit. The word of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he's also called the word of God. You feed your spirit just like you feed your natural man with Taco Bell and Kentucky Fried Chicken. You feed your spirit man with 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. We don't want to leave anything on the table. He's paid the debt. He's, he's set us alive and right with God, and we want to live out our salvation every day. Why do we just want to get half the experience? We want the full experience of our salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. If you think he's been good to you so far, we'll just keep digging. Deep calls into deep. He's calling you deeper into the things of God. If you think God's good, why do we just want to touch? That's why I wonder when we're praising the Lord tonight, it was like cricket, cricket, cricket. It's like, oh, it's just a Wednesday night. But man, what if we were really hung? What if we believed what we say we believe? Man, we would live totally different. Man, we're sometimes we're just going through the motions here. You got to be honest. I am too. I'm, I get mad at myself when I preach hard like this. It's just, just getting on to myself because I'm an old football coach and I like to rally the troops, you know. So, how, so did Jesus ever need to restore his soul while he was here? He's always my first example I look to when I put together a message. How did Jesus handle this? You know, it's because of the bracelet, you know. What would Jesus do? You, you, but, but that's good, though. Any time, he's our example. He was, he, he was our example. So, here Jesus is. He's ministering. He's going about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed. He's doing nothing but good, never sinned, never would. Didn't do anything wrong. And then John the Baptist, his cousin and probably his best friend in the world, gets his head chopped off. All right, I know people going through situations right now. There's no laughing matter. People have hard things happen. Somebody dies in their family. Suddenly, they lose a child. They, they lose a, a spouse. Uh, they lose a job. Maybe you're going through something. Somebody that you really desperately love is on drugs. And they, or, or your, one of your children is in the world and doesn't seem like they'll ever come back. And we're like... God, I ain't doing anything wrong. Why did this happen to me? Well, if anybody had a right to say that, it was Jesus. But see, that's the ultimate example of bad things happening to good people. If it can happen to Jesus, but see, he was in all points tempted like we are without sin. In other words, he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what we're going through. God did not hold anything back. I don't know if Jesus prayed for John the Baptist, but he might have prayed for him, and his prayer not got answered. What are you saying, God, that Jesus prayed a prayer and his prayer not got answered? I don't know. I don't know. But it's hard for me to believe that Jesus never prayed for his cousin, John the Baptist, knowing how much he prayed. So what does Jesus do? Obviously, he's grieving. The Bible tells us that he tries to go away but to be with the Father, have a little alone time with God. That's always his first thing to do to restore his soul when his soul is broken. And he's on the way, and so many people follow him. That the crowds are following him, and he looks back, and he says, man, they're like sheep without a shepherd. This ain't the time, God. He doesn't say this. I'm ad-libbing. But I can, I can almost feel him. You know, it's like, God, have you ever read the book of Mark and see how many people was on him constantly in his three years of ministry. 
Of course they would be. He's healing everybody. He's feeding everybody. But anyway, he's, he's trying to get away, but there they are. And compassion overwhelms him. So he turns to the other thing he knows to do when his soul needs restoration. He starts serving somebody. And he ministers to the crowd until late that evening. Then he sends them away. And then he goes up on the mountain and he prays all night long with the Father. Did it restore his soul? Did some time with the Father restore his joy and gladness and get him back up on his feet? I guess because the next thing you see, he's walking on the water to get to the disciples in the midst of a storm. The storm ain't stopping him. He's right back up, facing it again, walking on the water. What about when he's in the garden? He knows what's about to happen. So he calls. How many of you, when you got big stuff, you don't just call those far-off disciples. You call your main ones, your buddies, the ones that's been there for you or you hope would be there for you. In Mark 14, 32, they went to an olive grove called Gethsemane. I always hate saying that. And Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, the sons of thunder. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. Sounds like something going on in his soul. He told them, my soul is crushed. Jesus' soul was crushed with grief to the point of death. I don't know if my soul's ever been crushed that bad. I feel, <laughs> There's a few times I felt like it. I don't know if it was this bad, but I won't tell that story. But he says, stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further and he fell to the ground. I mean, don't say he kneeled down. It says he fell to the ground. Jesus' soul is crushed. And he prayed that if it were possible, this awful hour, awaiting him, might pass him by. He says, Abba, Father. Your soul need restoring? There's two words for you right there. Abba, Father. That's the best place to start. He cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Have you ever said please to God? And you thought just because you said it, you may, may even say, pretty please. But he said, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And that's where it all hinged. That's where it hinged for Adam. Adam had that choice. He said, my will be done, not yours, God. And this is where Jesus hit that reset button. I know what I'm about to face. But I'm willing, Father. And then, the cross. The physical pain that we think about, the cat of nine tails on his back, laying him open, and the crown of thorns, and the ripping out his beard, and the spitting on him, and, and he barely can carry his cross. And somebody has to carry it the rest of the way up the hill, and they nail him to that old rugged cross. And they lift him up, and the physical torment just 
is they had developed crucifixion. The Romans had done that as the most slow and torturous way they could think of for a human to die. That's what that was. The pain physically must be terrible. And the weight of the whole world's sins were put on him. And so he's got all this sin, and now the wrath of God is poured out on him because of the sin. Can you imagine all the ugliness and the nastiness of just the things we had done? Think about the rest of the world and those that have gone totally wicked. The things that we can't even, we can't even dream up in our minds. It's poured out on this perfect lamb, Jesus. And then, the subsequent separation from the Father. That what is what broke Jesus. I believe. I believe that he could have endured the physical. I believe that he could have carried the weight of sin and the taken the punishment before. But he had never, ever, since the before, 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 been separated from his father. And in Mark 53, uh, 15, 33, it says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. There we are, back to the darkness. The light of the world is now hung on a cross in darkness in the middle of the day. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabastani, which means, My God, my God, why have thou abandoned me? It makes him cry out this separation. His soul is in agony. The perfect lamb. Jesus suffered that separation so that we never have to. So that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find help in our time of need. Jesus restored his soul in the presence of the Father. And when that presence was taken away from him for the first time and forever, it was the worst thing that he could imagine. It was the thing that he could not bear. And here, he has made a way for us to come boldly to the throne of grace anytime. He's, made, he's flung open the door. The, the curtain of the temple has been rent from top to bottom. And no longer is God's place in a box, but his place is in a heart. And it's in your heart. And he's saying, I'm here for you. But yet, do we even value that at all? When is the last time? Don't raise your hand or... Just ask for yourself, when is the last time you spent an hour in prayer? When is the last time you went away and got on your knees somewhere in a closet by yourself and just spent time with the Father for the sake of being with Him? That's how Jesus restored His soul while He was here on the earth, and He has made it possible for us. Here, here we are fishing. And there's no way out. <laughs> We're going to have to turn around and go back the other way. But the problem is, is 
I got a brother in here just got out of lung surgery. He ain't got any energy left. He's tired from just watching me control that little trolling motor. And I don't know if I have the strength to work that trolling motor back as far as we've come. And I'm just thanking God that it ain't nighttime. Because we would probably be stuck there overnight if we got stuck there in the dark. You remember how I talked about how hard it is to work in the dark? What if you're stuck in amongst the trees in the middle of nowhere on a lake? Nobody even knows you're back there in the dark. I wouldn't even been able to tell somebody how to come get us. So we turn around, and we start trying to use that little trolling motor, and it's giving me the business. And I'm like, we're not going to get out of here before dark at this rate. So what do I do? I pulled that little old trolling motor in, and I went back and I said, it's time for the big boy. And I went to the back of the boat, and I cranked that 60 horse. <laughs> All right, so I take off through them woods, and, and I go, it's slow going, but I'm running over trees this big around. I'm pushing them over with the boat. <laughs> Vines coming at us. I got a place where a vine caught me by the neck and about drug me out of the boat, and I had to let go of the gas. But we are, I mean, we just had to get serious with that thing. And in about 30 minutes, we made our way out of there with the, with the help of a 60 horse instead of the little trolling motor. Look, if you want to make, make it through this jungle called life, you need to crank up the big boy. And the big boy is in the presence of God. Your little will that you have as a human being, oh, I'll just willpower. I'll just do my best through willpower. I'll be a good person by just doing my best, you know, and I'll, I'll make this diet. I'll lose weight. I'll have the willpower. We know that never works. There's only one thing that gives you the power to overcome anything, and that's the big boy. And that's your time with God. He is the only thing good about us. And the more we stay in his presence, the more we keep that thing cranked up. We'll get out of every jam. We'll hit back on the open water. And man, it felt so good to get that thing wound up once we got on open water because we were sweating, boy. And that, that wind was hitting us and of course, all the stuff that had collected in the boat was pounding me in the eyes, but I didn't even care, man. I was just glad to be out of there. Crank up that big boy. We got a big boy, but some of us still using that little, wee, 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 little trolling motor. And it's about to run out of the battery. How many feel like you're about to run out of battery? That thing's run on the battery. You can only go so far. I don't think it would have made it back. I don't even know if I got a paddle in the boat. Some of us are already to the paddle in your life. Don't forget, you got the big boy in the back. God has got you back. Acts 22, or Acts 2, 24, and I'll close. But God released him from the horrors of death. He's talking about Jesus. Listen to that. Do we just read over this stuff like it? I mean, I do sometimes. It was the horrors of death that Jesus experienced for us. Horrors. We make it sound like it's just a storybook. Yeah, he died on the cross, and the third day he rose from the dead. The horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David, David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. That's how David saw life. I can't do this unless God is right beside me. And that was before he could be right in you. 
No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praise. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead. No, God will restore your soul. Not leave your soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of what? The presence. Don't take his presence for granted. Don't think I can just get through this week and then maybe I'll. No. Jesus always made time to be with the Father. It was his priority. I bet you Jesus wouldn't even minister unless he spent time with the Father. We need to make prayer time the first thing on our agenda each day so we have enough to get through the morning. It's like breakfast for your spirit. So there we come right back to Psalms 23.3. He restoreth my soul. He did it by bringing the light back on through salvation and we live in it by living in his presence and his, his presence where there are pleasures forevermore. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.